Good morning. You guys recover from the Thanksgiving coma this week? You still have turkey left over? Anyone has still have turkey left over? Oh, there's some nodding heads. Lots and lots of turkey. Turkey just makes me fall asleep. So if I eat at like 2 p.m. on Thanksgiving, I am knocked out by 5 o'clock. And then I miss the football game, you know? So uh, I'm glad Thanksgiving was great for everybody. Today, we are doing a one sermon. This is the only one you're getting, not a serious sermon, called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, part of the reason we're doing that is we're going into Christmas season, and this Today, the message today is one of the most important messages that I have ever heard myself, but also the message about Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30, and that's where we're going to be today. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed to find our version event, and there you'll have our digital bulletin if you didn't pick one up on the way in. So let me, let me pray, and then we're going to get into the passage Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for allowing us to be here, for allowing us to come to worship you. Lord, we're, we're thankful that when we read the one thing Jesus says about his own heart, he says, I am gentle and lowly. That's the way his heart is for us. It's gentle, it's not abrasive, it's not sandpaper. But it's, it's, it's pushing us along to follow him and pursue him. He's humble. God, we need that. So God, help us today that your Holy Spirit would allow us to see each one of us, the heart of Jesus Christ for us, and how he loves us and pursues us. We say all of this in his name. Amen. Think with me for a second. Of all the ways we describe the pain that's inflicted on us by others. Think about it. Broken hearts. That's one way. Broken bones. That's another one. Broken trust. There's a third one. We talk about a lot of broken things when we describe that. And so we're all broken people in some way. When we walked in this morning, we've had pain our entire lives. There's pain in childbirth. There's pain in death. There's pain and disease. There's pain, there's pain everywhere. And so when I think of the times my parents responded to something I did with discipline, you know, sometimes that's a painful experience. It just kind of blurs together. I don't remember the times that I got in trouble for things. I can remember what I got in trouble for, but not how they responded. But those moments of grace and gentleness, I remember vividly. Those are the moments I'll remember for the rest of my life, not the ones where I just got discipline. So we all long for relationships with others that are gentle to us and have the humility to say that they were wrong. And I, I remember the times, my, my dad's been passed, he passed away in 2012. He's been gone for a long time. And I remember the times when my dad said he was wrong and asked for forgiveness for something he'd done. I remember all those times, back to when I was a little kid. There's a couple times where it's like, you know, he thought I did something and it was my brother. You know how that is, parents, right? <laughs> it's always the other kid, really. <laughs> he showed humility in ways that many people don't. And so gentleness and humility can go a long way in a world filled with broken people. 
So what is Jesus' heart for people? What is it? How does he describe his relationship with us? And we're going to turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to see that right here. Because this is the only time, and I can say that with a great degree of certainty, the only time Jesus actually tells us what his heart is like. In the entirety of scriptures, Paul talks about the heart of Jesus, but, but Jesus speaking for himself speaks about his own heart for people. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30 here, starts in verse 25 by saying, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So right at the beginning there, Jesus says, I thank you or I praise you, depending on your translation. And he's doing that to the Father. That's actually the start of a prayer. I, I, just this morning, I was praying with my kids, and I start with, thank you, God, for da 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 We do that many times. And so he starts the prayer of verse 25 and 26 with, I thank you and I praise you. Because he's acknowledging that God is great and praising him first before telling us why we should be praising him. He first acknowledges him and then tells us why we should be praising him. God is his father. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's, he's sovereign. He's like the, the, the president of the universe. And he, he's free to hide and show as he wills, show himself. Verse 25 says, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. What are these things? Well, right before this, in verse 20, we see what these things are. These things are the miracles that Jesus performed, the word of God expressed through Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So God chose to reveal his mighty works which now we have in the Bible that we can read about through Jesus to those that are little children in the world. Have you ever noticed children have a sense of awe and wonder? The, the look on a child's face on Christmas morning, and you realize that you just gave them a $5 toy. It's so exciting. It's apparent you're like, well, that was amazing. I just made their day, and that wasn't that expensive. There's a sense of wonder. We need to be thinking like that as well, with wonder about God's plan, about, about Jesus and the rest of our lives. So what's Jesus' plan, or, or the plan, God's plan through Jesus? And this contrast here is really those that are self-sufficient. It's not just wise and understanding. It's those that are self-sufficient and those that are dependent, little children. I don't know a single little child that is not dependent upon someone for their care. The little children want to learn. They want to learn. The self-sufficient don't. So we have to remember that God is the one that shows and then he hides. 
He doesn't really owe us anything as sinners, so showing any truth is really grace. It's, it's undeserved favor in our lives. And so the most shocking thing about this is who, he, he, he takes who understands little, the people that don't understand, and gives them mercy, teaching them the truth. And the ones that have pride and think they're wise and understand God already, he doesn't reveal the truth to them. The ones that we would all assume that God would reveal himself to, he doesn't. The people that are wise and understanding, they're actually left out. And Isaiah 29, 14 prophesies that this would happen. When it says, the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. It's not, the, just because someone thinks they're wise doesn't mean they are wise. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 tells us, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's a huge difference. And then verse 26 in, this, in the passage says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Somehow God willed it that way. And God's will is that the people that think themselves wise will not hear the truth of the gospel. That's a pretty heavy statement right there. Really, it's just a battle of pride versus humility. It's the difference between self-reliance and dependence on God. It's the difference between being proud in yourself or poor in spirit. Which is why we're dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. If you pursue Jesus, we are dependent on his heart. There's no other doubt about it. There's no other way. Because if he's not gentle and lowly towards us, when we're proud, when we come to him with just a lack of faith, if he's not gentle and lowly, we would really struggle. But the, the proud, they really struggle too, right? Look at this. First Peter 5.5 5 tells us, clothe yourselves, like literally put on, wake up in the morning, put on, all of you with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And Jesus even says in Matthew 23.12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be humble and have childlike wonder. You can't be a know-it-all. That's why we're dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. And then that's just the first two verses. Well, what happens in verse 27? If you read that over and over, it's kind of confusing a little bit. Because it was confusing for me as I read it. I go, okay, so this and this. I started doing math in this, this verse. And so he says, this is like super arrogant. Super arrogant. Like if this was one of you, wouldn't you think it's arrogant? So he says this. All things have been handed over to me by my father. He's talking about God the father here. And no one knows the son, knows Jesus, except the father. And no one knows the father except the son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Whoa. That's a mouthful. Try to follow that. Well, I'm going to help you a little bit. There's four claims. He makes four claims here. In one verse, he makes four claims, and all four claims are ones that if you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not going to like. First, Jesus, he has authority over all things. 
He says he has authority over all things. And I'm going to take this to mean everything. Everything in the universe Jesus has authority over. And in Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, all power and wisdom was given to Jesus. So I, I would assume it's everything. It's not just the material world, it's everything. Second, second claim he makes is that he is the only son of God. He truly knows God. My father is what he says. My father. That's possession. That's, it's my father. And then third, there's a third claim he makes. We cannot know God except through knowing Jesus. There's literally no other way. So he's claiming that he is the only way to God. Trust me, that makes, that's really offensive. Fourth claim. And this is probably the most offensive one. We cannot know God unless Jesus shows him to us. Simple as that. These four claims, if they are true, make Jesus the most offensive person in all of human history. He's really offensive. He's claiming all authority from God, and like God, he has sovereignty. He he controls heaven and earth. So let's look at these, okay? Jesus claims to be son of God. Muslims consider this blasphemous. Buddhists and atheists consider this irrelevant because they don't think God is necessary for any sort of meaning. Atheists don't even believe God exists. Jesus claims we can only know God through Jesus. And this is very offensive to the view of Hinduism and postmodern thought, mostly agnostics, that we, we can't know God. And then Jesus claims we can't know God unless he shows God to us. This is an offense to every single one of us as we walked in this morning. Because you walked in because you made a choice, right? So we have this ideal that we control our own destiny. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't. I do. That's really heavy. Isn't, Isn't my life completely in my hands? What offensive nonsense is this? And these claims are offensive and arrogant unless they're true. If any of you have ever read C.S. Lewis, he talks about this a lot, about Jesus' claims. So I'm just going to look at Jesus in Matthew and ask, ask the question, who is he? Who is he? So if you follow along with me, there's a few verses here I just want to read to you. Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3.17, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom or with whom I am well pleased. Then he was tested as the Son of God in Matthew chapter 4, verses 10, 2 through 10. He was worshipped as the Son of God in Matthew 14, 33, where it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's a crowd of people saying the same thing. There's a crowd of people. There's, there's this voice from heaven, God the Father. And then one of his disciples, Peter, confessed in Matthew 16, 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then a cloud from heaven in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, at the transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it adds something else there. It says, listen to him. Listen to him. And right after Jesus died, the Roman soldiers said in Matthew 27, 54, 
when he died on the cross, truly, this was the Son of God. Whoa. God's saying it. The crowds are saying it. The Roman soldiers that basically just put him on the cross are saying it. And even after all this, he resurrects from the dead. And in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, he says this, which is an even further extension of what he said in verse 27. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sounds like a similar phrase there. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus knew what he was talking about because he was God. Jesus was validated and confirmed to be the Son of God that these four claims are true about. But even though it sounds arrogant, he was humble. How could he be humble if he's claiming this? Well, Philippians 2.8 tells us, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We cannot at the same time be arrogant and humble. Have you ever noticed that? If someone calls you arrogant, in the same moment you can't be humble. It's just not possible. It's just not, there's no way to be arrogant and humble at the same time. And he confirms, Jesus confirms humility in his actions. And even later in Philippians, the Apostle Paul makes a case for knowing Jesus is greater than anything else. Than anything else. When he says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Is that what we think when we get up on Sunday morning and we come to church? Is that what we think on Monday morning when our kids keep us up all night or our back hurts or we have to go to work super early? Whatever's bending us out of shape. We need to stop trying to depend on our own wisdom but God's revelation through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 tells us, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Think about that for a second. Light shine out of darkness. Some of you might be in a very dark moment right now. What does this verse tell us? Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's showing in your heart. And then it says, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You know, I I think of a hymn when it talks about look into his face, his glorious face. That is something we all need to do at times. We're going to see what his heart for us is in a second. But the reality is when we're looking at him, this is what we can see. We need to thank God for Jesus. We need to thank God and realize our dependence on him. Because we are dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. Imagine if he really was arrogant and none of that was ever true. Wait a second. Why are we even here? Because guess what? We're following a guy that's just arrogant. He's nothing. But he showed and proved that he was humble. Humble to to the point of death on a cross. We are dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. So verses 28 through 30 present a paradox. We get to the last part of this passage. 
It's an apparent contradiction. A theologian once put it this way, it's an apparent incompatibility through two apparent truths. Let me, let me unpack that. Basically, two things that are true that don't make sense that they're true. It just doesn't make sense. So let me go to physics. I'm not a physics major, so you guys can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but scientists first discovered that light consisted of waves. I got really excited about that. And then Isaac Newton comes along because he's really a great guy, and he, he discovers that light consists of particles. <laughs> Wait a second. Those are two incompatible things. How could that ever happen? And in the end, science, scientists discovered that there's something called wave-particle duality. Both waves and particles exist. Both things exist. It doesn't make sense. It just is. They can't explain why both exist but they just do. So when we read these verses, we need to be informed by this and understand that there's, there's some paradoxes here. So verse 28 through 30, I'm going to read it again. It says, come to me, so we're coming to him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This paradox is that Jesus chooses us and we choose to come to him. Do you notice like he talked about showing and hiding earlier? He reveals. He chooses and we come. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Come to me, but I reveal God to those I choose. It's like we've been lassoed at the rodeo, but yet we're still running towards the guy who lassoed us. I know that sounds like a weird like like explanation but it's like hey i'm pulling you in but then you're also running to me then you can notice jesus says come to me not come to god he has power over salvation and this is what all things have been handed over to me in verse 27 means jesus is the life gate there's literally only one way to true life there's only one way jesus claims in john chapter 14 verse 6 I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father. So when he says, I will give you rest, think about this. It's a deep breath in a life filled with labor and heavy burdens. We labor and we have heavy burdens and we're taking a deep breath. Who doesn't want inward and outward peace? Some of us probably wanted that this last week. We were around people that we're not usually around. We wanted more peace. Who doesn't want right relationships? In our heart of hearts, we want right relationships with everybody, even the people that hurt us, even the people that hurt us the most. Jesus is claiming in these verses that the ultimate rest is found in him. It's found in him. There's no other place. The longing of every human heart only comes from a relationship with him. And so he invites the tired, the tired, the poor, those that toss and turn at night from stress, those lost in addictions, the people yearning to be free, those are who he invites. And Jesus' invitation is simple. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a wooden frame. 
I'm not, we're not in an agrarian culture. We don't just farm. So it's this wooden frame put around the shoulders of an ox in order to make something easier to carry. It's something for work. It's something for hard labor. It's for heavy burdens. So notice the paradox. Jesus is not promising or inviting us to escape reality, but he's promising the right equipment to deal with it. Which is why when Jesus describes his heart, it's refreshing in comparison to the judgment many of us feel every day. He says, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He doesn't say body, he says soul. Something greater and deeper. We're dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. It's the only place we can go. We're dependent on that. We are dependent on that every day of our lives. So he carries our burdens and provides the yoke. We enter into rest from our working, our laboring, and we move into working for him, laboring for him, and obedience. Rest in Jesus comes from seeking God's kingdom first and his righteousness. Rest comes from God's will being done here as it is in heaven. And and Jesus clearly says, take something for work. That's what a yoke is. It's for work. He doesn't say, take up your couch. He doesn't say, take up your bed. He says, take up your yoke. You are going to work and everyone's going to have to work. His yoke might be easy and his heart might be gentle and lowly, but why do we not stay the course? If that's really true, in a room this size, there's, there's five times as many people that we know that have not stayed the course. So why don't we stay the course? And I think it's because of this. I think we forget what Romans 8, 18 tells us. If you haven't seen this verse before, remember this verse it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are so focused on today and how much my body feels, my, everything hurts. Everything's painful. We're so focused on now that we forget about the future. We forget about eternity. We forget about what's most important. But then Jesus' invitation is for those that are tired of working, for whatever and for whomever. He's calling us to come work. He's saying, come work for me. Be my disciple. All the stuff that you're chasing, it's great, but it's not going to give you rest. How heavy is all the junk that you're carrying? Some of you have pretty heavy weights on your shoulders right now. Has getting drunk got given you rest? Has pornography given you rest? Has partying every other weekend, every weekend brought you rest? Has your education brought you rest? Has your career brought you rest? Has that perfect spouse brought you rest? Has that perfect boyfriend or girlfriend brought you rest? Has any of the stuff you buy brought you rest? The house, the car, the new TV. 
has any of that truly brought you rest? Has any of those brought you rest with the Father? Have any of those brought you to the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus? When you take back all the stuff that we fill our time with, what's bringing you to the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus? The heart that says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, there's still a yoke. We must be obedient to his will. And there's still burdens. And the Bible tells us there will be persecution, trials, tests, spiritual warfare will happen. But in spite of all this, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. When people pass away, we say that their souls have been put to rest. Jesus' claim here actually says that you can have rest in the here and now. There's a difference. What are you trying to find rest in? That's the question I'm, I'm left with this morning. Run. Work. Strive. Whatever you do, do it to find rest in Jesus. You know, I mentioned a lot of things earlier that we try to find rest in. But God, God knows what we're trying to find rest in right now. And that list is not comprehensive. So maybe this morning you have something else in mind. Tell God, I'm trying to find rest in this. I'm trying to find rest in that. And I need rest in you. Because he's calling you. He's saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Persecution, trials, tests, spiritual warfare is going to happen. But that's not going to change the fact that Jesus has a gentle and lowly heart to be with you through it all. He's there. This morning, I have a, I have a special gift for all of you. A book that I've probably read three times now because personally, it's been my favorite book the last couple years. And many of you might say, I don't read very much. And I'll tell you, outside of the Bible, if you want to read something, this is, this is the book I would read. It's called Gentle and Lowly. You notice some of the themes. And this book talks about the heart of Jesus Christ for us. Some of the, some of the, the concepts in here are stuff that I needed to hear my whole life. And I just, just finally understood. Because we live in a culture that there's, there's, there's shame, there's dishonor, there's all these things that we feel and we feel pressure and weight on ourselves and stress. But Jesus' heart for us is gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly is the only description of Jesus' heart in the entire Bible. I challenge you to find something else because I haven't found one. When he describes his own heart, this is how he describes it. Gentle and humble, gentle and lowly. And that is why, this morning, the only thing that we need to be focused on is realizing that we're dependent on the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
we are thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. But God, most of all, when Jesus is who he says he is, who he claims to be, God, we just thank you for the the great, awesome power. But then also, we thank you for the fact that he's gentle. He's humble. He cares for us. He's not a weak savior. He's got power over the whole universe and he's got all authority. But then on the other hand, he's gentle with us and humble with us. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. The brokenness from the pain we felt in our lives. God, give us us rest in the here and now. Peace in the here and now. Because that's what Jesus promises with his yoke. God, let us work. Let us realize that we're not just taking up our couch. We're not taking up a bed. We're here to work for your kingdom. Because God, you love us. You are a gracious, gracious father. And have chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, open our hearts and our minds to what your word says. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.